you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. What is up? Welcome to another edition of the NFL Fantasy Football Show. It's me, your man, MG Marcus Grant, still masking and socially distancing. We are more than a year into this, and it's still the same. Either way, we got a big show for you. Joined, as always, by Michael F. Floria. We've got producer Steve on the boards. Uh, normally, I have some sort of happy talk to start, but we've got a big, beefy show today. So, Florio, how are you feeling, first of all, now that we're a few days into free agency? Uh, I'm, it's a weird feeling, right? Because like, I'm, I'm excited that we have football moves going on, stuff to analyze. It's football is just like the talk of sports right now, which is awesome. But I'm looking at these big free agent wide receivers and I'm like, come on, somebody do something like someone end up on it. Someone sign, do something. So I've enjoyed it so far, but I'm still waiting for these big splashes to happen. We are guaranteed that these big splashes are going to happen <laughs> immediately after we finish recording this podcast. Like We'll be on the verge of putting it out, uh, and some of these big names are going to sign. I'll get to some of those in just a second. Uh, one housekeeping note. Last week on this show, I mentioned the Big Data Bowl being hosted by our pal Cynthia Freeland. That's actually happening today. Uh, chances are by the time you listen to this podcast, it will probably be over but if you missed it um, and you wanted to catch it, it is going to be on demand at YouTube. Uh, you can just go to uh, or you can go to NFL.com slash Big Data Bowl. It will also be there as well. So you got a couple of places that you can go and find it streaming. Should be interesting. Cynthia, I, I imagine, is going to do a great job hosting it. Uh, the idea is to create a new metric uh, that determines what is a successful uh, defensive play from a cornerback or safety perspective. So they're basically trying to track uh, DB performance on a play-by-play basis. Uh, we'll talk to Cynthia next week about it and try to figure out how we can spin it to our own greedy fantasy purposes uh, and that sort of thing. So again, if you missed it, uh, check it out, nfl.com slash bowl or on YouTube. Uh, the whole thing will be up there as well. All right. Lots to talk about. I, uh, I'm all loaded up. I got a big jug of water here because I imagine I'm going to need it before this thing is all said and done. Also, uh, I've got a separate monitor that has a tweet deck up and running just because I do think uh, something may happen in the course of recording this podcast. So we may break in with some breaking news. Who knows? Uh, so stay tuned for that. That should be so, so much fun. Um, so let's start, though, with... Some of the notable names that are still out there in free agency, uh, starting at running back. Uh, and this is, a, again, as of when we started this podcast, and it could change, but Chris Carson, uh, Leonard Fournette, Philip Lindsay uh, just became a free agent recently with the Broncos. So he is out there now on the market. Kenyon Drake, Mike Davis, James Conner. Those are some of your notable running backs out there. The wide receivers. And this one is, I think, some of a surprise here. Kenny Galladay, Will Fuller, Juju Smith-Schuster, T.Y. Hilton, Antonio Brown, Josh Reynolds, all still available. The tight ends. Uh, before 
I was, uh, you know, setting up to do this podcast. Gerald Everett was out there, but he is off the board now. We'll talk about that later. So uh, Kyle Rudolph is still available. Jared Cook and Dan Arnold. If you're into the whole Dan Arnold thing, uh, he's out there as a free agent as well. Which of those names being still a free agent surprises you right now? Uh, the biggest one is Kenny Galladay. I thought for sure he was going to be one of the first pieces off the board. He's kind of viewed as the, I would say, like cream of the crop at, at a very uh, skilled wide receiver free agent class. He is viewed as like being uh, towards the top of that list, if not the number one. And and the other one, I thought Juju would have signed pretty quickly as well, just because he's a big name. He can play a little bit outside in the slot as well. You could find ways to utilize him. So those two, I thought, were would sign on day one. And now we're sitting here in day four and they're still out there. <laughs> I do know, you know, the rumors have sort of swirled in the last few hours uh, with Galladay that uh, the Bengals, I think, may be interested. The Giants may be interested in Kenny Galladay. Uh, with Juju, there's talk that maybe the Jets could be a landing spot for him. No pun intended. Um, yeah, which would be kind of fun. He could reunite potentially with his old pal Sam Darnold uh, and see if they can kind of recreate what they had at USC together. So those are the names that I, I'm with you. Those are the ones that are sort of surprising. Uh, I feel like the running backs may sort of linger out there. Uh, I think a lot of these running backs, we may not see anything happen until maybe after the draft even. We'll, we'll see about that. Uh, I think the same with the tight ends. I don't think there's going to be any big rush to add any of the tight ends uh, that are out there at this point as well. So, uh, again, we're kind of monitoring this. I'll just keep you know peeking over at this other screen to, to check on TweetDeck to see if anything comes across while we are doing this. But let's get to the moves that we know have happened already. And – I just want to start with the Patriots just in general, because they made a ton of moves on day one. And, it, you know, it became sort of a meme for a while, right, that, that Belichick was just throwing money at guys, trying to bring players in left and right. Uh, the big notable moves they made were adding some pass catchers. Uh, and we'll get to them individually, but you know, Kyle Ru- or not Kyle Rudolph, uh, John New Smith, Hunter Henry, uh, Nelson Aguilar, Kendrick Bourne, all the guys they brought in there. My first question, though, is now that they've added all these, what does this do to you for Cam Newton's draft value? Uh, For me, it keeps Cam Newton, uh, as long as he's the starting quarterback there, obviously, it keeps him in the quarterback two uh, range. Like, I don't want to draft this guy as my starting quarterback in a one quarterback league, but in a super flex or two quarterback or in best ball, I think is a place I really like him uh, as a second or even third quarterback if he's going that late in some drafts like I think that it definitely helps his value there because we saw last year he had some really big games and some really bad games. And in a weekly league where you set your lineup each week, yeah, that's going to be really frustrating. But in a best ball league, like that's what you want. You want someone who can give you, you know, 25 plus points in any given week. We know he can add points with his legs. The issue last year was there was no one to catch the ball. And Marcus, it wasn't just that, right? Like he had COVID in the middle of the season. He didn't sign till like the middle of June. And we were speculating for months. Like, when is he going to sign? What's going to happen? He was the last quarterback to sign. So I just think last year, yeah, he looked really brutal at times, but it was like everything that could have went wrong, went wrong for Cam Newton last season. And that's the thing I, I kind of landed on as I was thinking about this, right? Because I do think, this helps Cam's draft value. It helps his fantasy potential here because last year the Patriots easily had the worst wide receiver core in the NFL. 
Um, I don't know that the guys they signed at wide receiver are super splashy names, but they are now somewhere, you know, slightly above being the worst wide receiver core in the NFL. Uh, you know, I haven't I haven't taken tabs on who I think that is right now, but I don't think it's the Patriots uh, after they made these moves. So I, I feel like there's nowhere to go for this group but up. And so that's going to help. But I also kind of went to the things you talked about with Cam. He signed late. Um, he was coming off a, a year, a, basically a lost season because of injury. He had COVID. We have no idea how that's going to impact these guys long term. It was something you mentioned uh, a week or two ago with Ezekiel Elliott. That, that We have no idea what it's going to do to some of these guys long term. And certainly within the season, I think it's definitely a concern. So I feel like there are some some asterisks next to what happened to Cam last season. I say this as a fan and as a guy who wants to see him uh, kind of be successful and play well again. I'm not really ready to completely give up on him, but I'm sort of with you that I'm not also ready to make him the number one quarterback on my team in what was last year, a low volume passing offense that didn't have any real weapons. Um, You know, I said, I don't think it can get any worse than what we saw last year, but I'm also not ready to say that, that he's back to being a top 10, you know, fantasy option. Uh, at the quarterback position this year. So now let's kind of go through these these guys individually that the Patriots signed. And I want to get your feelings, you know, stock up, stock down, stock about the same uh, for some of these guys making moves. So I've put Jonu Smith and Hunter Henry together because I just feel like we sort of have to kind of talk about them together. When, when Jonu signed, I think everybody was like, hey, this is great. Jonu, you know, to the moon, let's go get on board. And then like a few hours later, they signed Hunter Henry and it was like it was like that Chris Farley gif, right, where he's like, you know, smiling and all of a sudden the, the, the expression turns to like dismay and sadness. That was fantasy Twitter after Hunter Henry signed with the Patriots. I mean, is it just an automatic stock down or, or do you have some hope that these guys can can sort of you know hold their value next year? I, I think the two of those two tight ends could hold their value. I don't really think they could exceed it. And it, I was one of those people, Marcus. I was really excited when Jonu Smith signed because I do think Jonu Smith is a better player than the numbers that he has put up in Tennessee. They were just such a run-heavy offense. And, and at the time, he was their first big signing. I was like, he is going to be their number one target unless they make a bunch of other moves, which they ended up doing. <laughs> and what I liked was... I looked back at Cam's first seven seasons from 2011 through 2018 before the injuries really started to pile up for him the last two years. And last year, I think you could throw out because the the Patriots had no tight ends at all to throw the ball to. Uh, So in those first seven years, 24% Devin Asiasi? What are you saying? What are you talking about? (laughs) I mean, he had what? A handful of catches last year? I don't know. (laughs) Um, He is no Johnny Smith, but... Uh, in that those seasons, Cam threw 24% of his passes. That was just under eight attempts per game on average. Two tight ends, and I got excited. But now with him and Hunter Henry being there, I could see Hunter Henry being used more um, like in between the 20s and, and on a lot of uh, like the intermediate routes. But I think Johnu Smith could be their red zone, go-to red zone guy, and that would be a nightmare. That would be a nightmare. And again – I say this all the time. We are thirsty for tight ends and it would have been great. I think if these guys ended up in separate situations on two different teams, you're talking about both of them easily being top 10 options. Mike Clay, who does a great job at at ESPN, uh, put out uh, a tweet uh, earlier in the week that uh, it's really hard 
to find a situation in the past where you've had two top 10 tight ends on the same team. Um, you know, last uh, a couple years ago, it was Philadelphia. Uh, you had Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard, but that was a year where their whole wide receiver core just evaporated because of injury. And that was pretty much all they had to throw the football to. The other one, the one that everybody keeps talking about, and I guess it's fitting because it's New England, was Rob Gronkowski and Aaron Hernandez. That was a just a vastly different Patriots offense than the one we're expecting to see this year. I, I don't see the kind of volume available uh, for both those guys to get the targets necessary. And as much as I love Cam, there are still questions whether or not uh, he is the same player that he was before and whether or not he can you know, deliver the ball enough to uh, sustain two top 10 tight ends. So I do feel like necessarily their values sort of have to go down. Um, I assume based on what you said, though, you're, you're taking Janu over Hunter Henry uh, if you had the choice. I I haven't fully decided yet. I actually – I think I'm leaning Hunter Henry just because I could see him being the more consistent option. Um, but I don't think either one of these guys is more than a low-end tight end one now. Um, and I continue to say it, Marcus, after the top five or six, however, like you, if you – after the top five, if there's another tight end you feel really strongly about, maybe you can make it six. But, like, for me, it's after the top five. There's a blob of, like, 15 tight ends that I would not be surprised. You can mix and match them in any order, and I wouldn't be surprised at how they turned out. And that list just keeps growing by some of the moves that we're seeing. As you say that, right, I mean, one move that just popped up as we're talking here, uh, Hunter Henry leaves L.A., leaves the Chargers. Jared Cook has just signed – with the Los Angeles Chargers to fill that spot left by Hunter Henry. I can't think of a player that just, I mean, maybe more oatmeal, I guess, is the, the best description uh, when it comes to fantasy than Jerry Cook. He's that guy that, you know, no one loves drafting Jerry Cook. No one's excited about drafting Jerry Cook, but you do get three or four good usable weeks a year out of him, uh, just enough to sort of get you excited, and then he sort of vanishes again. Uh, I mean, any immediate reaction to Jared Cook landing in L.A.? My my first immediate thought was, I hope this does not deter them from drafting Kyle Pitts if he falls to them, <laughs> because that's what I want to have been so bad. I just think that he would be the final piece to making this offense really special. Uh, but as for Cook, like if he is the lone tight end, the starting tight end there, there is Donald uh, Parham, who a lot of people love as well there. <laughs> um, that puts a little bit of a wet blanket on his breakout. And I, to me, Cook would be more of a best ball pick, though, because I, I like you said, Marcus, three or four random good, really good games. I don't have to guess when those are going to be to get him in my lineup. In <laughs> um, it's funny because I, I do remember after Henry said he was or, you know, after we learned Henry was going to hit free agency, uh, everybody was tweeting about Donald Parham. And my first thought was, is this going to be Virgil Green all over again? Like there were so <laughs> many years where everybody kept, you know, honking on Virgil Green is going to be the next big thing. And it just never happened. And that was my first thought with Parham. Now they got Jared Cook. So those two are going to battle it out for snaps and targets. Um, getting back to the Patriots, though, Nelson Aguilar signs there uh, after coming off a career year with the Las Vegas Raiders. Now he goes to New England where he is, at least on paper, maybe maybe on paper the bona fide number one. I don't know, but that still belongs to Julian Edelman. I'm not really sure. Either way, Nelson Aguilar is going to get, I think, plenty of opportunity. Um, do you like him more now in New England than you did in Las Vegas? Uh, I 
I think his ceiling is higher in New England. I think it ultimately comes down to is Cam Newton going to be able to get him the ball on those deep routes? Because if he is, I think the volume there is is going to help him be even better than he was last year. And I think Nelson Aguilar was better than people give him credit for. Um, and I looked at his stats this year, last in 2020, and the Patriots' number one wide receiver, whoever it may be. And, I mean, Nelson Aguilar is better in basically every stat. Uh, fantasy wise real life wise deep threat wise like he was just better than everything the Patriots had to offer so I think uh, with the money they gave him too he will be their number one target I have a working theory that Julian Edelman does not want to play in New England and that he uh, saw Brady and Gronk having all that fun in Tampa Bay and he's <laughs> jealous and he wants to end up there because he was like oh I don't know if I'm gonna be able to healthy to play or not this year I think if the Patriots were like all right we'll wave you we'll let you go wherever you want he'll be in Tampa like that um but I do think Nelson Aguilar will be their number one wide receiver. And for fantasy, I like him more as like a wide receiver three or four-ish in that range. Nothing that I I would go too hard to get on my team, but I think he is better than people give him credit for it. And I think you know, the Raiders found a new way to sort of use him. And, and uh, you know, our buddy Matt Harmon uh, was tweeting about this yesterday uh, with his great reception perception stuff um, <clears throat> that in Philadelphia, he was more of kind of a, a short area underneath sort of guy. And, and, you know, he excelled when he was great after the catch. The Raiders used him more as a, a deep threat field stretcher sort of guy, which is not what we expected because we all thought Henry Ruggs was going to be that player, which he wasn't at least last year. Um, so we'll see if the Patriots use him as such, and we'll see if Cam can get him the ball downfield. Because if that second part doesn't happen, um, then Nelson is just out there getting his steps in. Uh, the last guy that the Patriots signed, at least of noteworthy to us, Kendrick Bourne, who he got his opportunities in San Francisco mostly because they had so many other injuries, but he was fairly buried down the depth chart. Um, I don't know that this makes a big splash, but maybe this means more opportunity for him going to New England. I don't know. I think he'll have to be in a like he'll have to win out that job. Uh, Jacoby Myers played pretty well last year. Nikhil Harry, as of now, is still on their roster and was a first <laughs> round pick two years ago. So uh, I could see those three being in a camp battle. I think Kendrick Bourne is a better real life piece for the Patriots than for fantasy because I expect Aguilar to be getting targets ahead of him. Julian Edelman, if he does play this year for the Patriots, I think he'll be ahead of him. Both tight ends, I could see getting targeted over him. So at that point. It's like you're going to be in a run-heavy offense with a quarterback that has a shoulder woes that we are concerned about. And at best, you're probably like the third or fourth target. So to me, I don't have a lot of interest there in fantasy. Not an original thought here, but uh, the Patriots, for all their success over the last 20 years, have generally not been very good at scouting and or drafting wide receivers. I mean, they ran into Randy Moss. That was great. Julian Edelman has, has done good things for them. But on the whole... Uh, it is that that's an area where they have not necessarily been great. And like I said, I don't know that these names really jump out at anybody and we'll see what happens uh, with them and Cam there in New England. All right. Now to the rest of the signings. Again, things are still happening. We'll see uh, what comes across the, the news wire as uh, as we do this. But let's start with our old pal, Alan Robinson. <laughs> Looked for all the world like he was getting out of the Chicago land area, which side note, I love the fact that they call the region Chicago land. Cause it just sounds super Al Capone mobstery to me. <laughs> um, but I mean, he basically made it sound like he was done. He didn't want to come back. Uh, we, as we've talked about, he even said he didn't like the city of Chicago, which is still a head scratcher to me. And then what do the bears do? They franchise tag him. 
So that's going to make him happy. Uh, and then <laughs> they follow that up. Uh, they fail to get Russell Wilson in a deal. They, they can't get anything done for Deshaun Watson. So they sign Andy Dalton to come in and be their quarterback, which if you're Allen Robinson, like, I mean, you're just, you're, you're throwing things, right? You're punching the air. Like this is, this is the worst case scenario potentially for you uh, from what you wanted. Um, the thing we love about A-Rob is that through all the years, through all the bad quarterbacks he has been through, he has still continued to be productive. And that has allowed us to continue to draft him in the top two or three rounds every single year. Do we still believe in that? Can this still continue? Like at some point, like, you know, it, it has to fall off, right? Or or do we still just sort of trust that A-Rob's going to be A-Rob and he'll figure out a way to, pr- to produce even with Dalton slinging the rock to him? So I'm a huge advocate of Allen Robinson. And last year I ranked him actually my fifth wide receiver, like coming into the year. And I realized my mistake was thinking that Allen Robinson can lift his quarterback or that a quarterback like Nick Foles is going to take him to that next step. And like Andy Dalton to me comes in the same range. So I'm not going to make the mistake this year of having him in my top five. But I'm not going to make the mistake either of taking him out of my top 12 and not having him as a wide receiver one, because I think coming into this year, he is one of the safest bets for 150 plus targets. Like he's done that in each of the last two years. The Bears, I, I know they like Darnell Mooney, but there's they're going to run this offense again through Allen Robinson. So I, I think while I wanted him to go elsewhere, I do think the Bears were his safest landing spot to get that 150 plus targets. Andy Dalton hasn't really looked much better than Trubisky or Foles the last couple of years, but I think his ceiling is still somewhat higher. But yeah, to me, it just it, it limits Allen Robinson's ceiling and keeps him kind of in that like wide receiver 10 or 11 off the board range, in my opinion. I think that's fair. Um, you know, it's funny because that's sort of the way you described A-Rob just now is sort of the way I talked about Mike Evans last year is that like I didn't think he was going to be a top five guy, but I was too scared to take him out of my top 12. Um, and, you know, he ended up in the top 12 and it ended up sort of working out. And I think that's kind of the same thing for Allen Robinson. He's still going to be a target monster in this offense because there's nobody else that I feel confident is really going to just eat up a whole lot of opportunities. So most of the throws are probably going to go toward Robinson. Um, you know, he's going to have his normal catch rate. He's going to make his plays. He's going to find the end zone. He's going to be fine. I think we just all were hoping for more. We just wanted to see what could be unlocked if he got a quarterback that could get him the ball. Um, You know, Andy Dalton is sort of in the, I was going to say the backup phase of his career, but he's going to be the starter probably in Chicago, unless something really dramatic happens. Um, So it's like, eh, it's just, it's nothing to get excited about. You just hope that, that he continues to be the guy he has been throughout his football life. Um, I just, I just wanted so much more for him. I just wanted so much more. I don't want to defend the Bears organization at all after their last (laughs) couple of seasons, but they they did make a legitimate offer for Russell Wilson. It was three firsts and and a couple other pieces. So they tried at least. I guess they get some credit for that. That's true. Um, And also, I think says something about how they feel about Sam Darnold that they didn't really even try that they went they they felt like they wanted Andy Dalton over trying to make a deal for Sam Darnold. but that maybe is a different conversation I, for a different I time. did see a reporter tweeting this week that fans and media view Sam Donald a lot higher <laughs> than <that>. NFL people. <laughs> I did see that, that uh, there was, a, I think, an NFL exec who basically said he stinks. Yeah. Um, 
So yeah, I uh, I caught that as well. I, I thought that was interesting. Um, <clears throat> so here's one that I, I think uh, you know maybe maybe hits you in the gut a little bit, Florio. Uh, Marlon Mack re-signed with the Jackson or the Jackson. I'm, I'm looking at other things. Uh, <laughs> re-signed with the Indianapolis Colts. So Marlon Mack is back in Indianapolis. Um, this set off kind of an interesting conversation on Twitter about what this means for Jonathan Taylor. Uh, my first thought was when I saw that was to tweet at you, like, how are you feeling about this? Uh, you responded back to the Steve Carell. I'm just trying to put on a brave face right now. <laughs> um, now that you've had some time to sort of sit with this and think about it a little bit, have you have you changed the way you feel? Are you trying to be more optimistic? Where, where are you right now? I am trying to be a little bit more optimistic because I don't want to have a doom and gloom view every time a running back signs. But to <laughs> me, this was a little bit different than like if they brought in like a Carlos Hyde, like the, the Jaguars did with James Robinson. Like to me, I don't really worry about Carlos Hyde. But Marlon Mack was drafted by the Colts. Marlon Mack has been a multiple year starter for the Colts. Marlon Mack suffered this severe injury and they still went out and signed him. So to me, that shows that they clearly know him and they clearly like him. And I keep having flashbacks to last season when Naheem Hines was being utilized in the passing game. And it was kind of like Taylor and Hines splitting the pass game work. And then Taylor and Jordan Wilkins splitting the ground game work. And I know it's easy for people to say like, oh, this isn't going to change anything for Jonathan Taylor. Marlon Mack at most, what is he going to get a couple of touches per game? But I'm sitting here like in our mock draft a couple of weeks ago, Marcus, I took him third <laughs> overall. To take him third overall, you have to be confident, in my opinion, that he's going to get 20 touches a game. Marlon Mack is a threat to that. And if Marlon Mack is seeing a couple of touches per game, that lowers Jonathan Taylor down to maybe 17 per game. To me, that is still a knock worth thinking about and considering when you're talking about taking him that high. Now, there are some people out there who still believe that JT can be that 20 touch per game guy, even with Marlon Mack there. Um, you know, I know there, that people have expressed concerns about Mack coming off an Achilles injury, which has generally sort of been uh, a career ender for all intents and purposes uh, for running backs. Um, you know, we'll see about that. We'll also see whether or not Frank Reich and, and that offense is committed to running the football because we know how great that offensive line can be. Um, but I do think there is there's a vast difference between feeling like he's going to be that true workhorse, bell cow, whatever you want to call him, that makes you confident enough to take him within the first four or five picks and to think he's going to be sort of a, a lead back with somebody else that comes in occasionally to get some touches, and that's where you get him sort of late. And so as this conversation was happening uh, on, on Tuesday or Wednesday, I guess, um, I sort of, you know, had a light bulb go off. It's like, well, wait a minute. People don't seem to be worried about Jonathan Taylor and his draft value. So it made me wonder, well, where are people taking him? So I did, I put out a poll on Twitter to sort of ask the question about it. And um, right now, I mean, there's still a couple hours left on it, but uh, I said early first round, late first round or round two. Um, it is late first round. Round two is running away with it. I mean, people say either late first round or, or second round. That makes up about 83, almost 84 percent of the responses. Early first round was just 16 percent. So that made me start to think that, that you and I and Adam Rank and maybe some other folks out there are way higher on Jonathan Taylor or at least were way higher on Jonathan Taylor before this news happened. Um, 
I mean, were we just were, were we wish casting? Were we being too hopeful? Or is it just that, you know, we're ahead of the curve and we're waiting for people to catch up to us? I, I don't I don't really know. But it just that blew me away that people didn't see Jonathan Taylor the same way a lot of us did. Yeah, my I could be biased because you know how I feel about Jonathan Taylor. But I think that we are ahead of the curve. And my expectation from having him like taking him third overall in that mock draft was this is going to become nor- like it's going to be seem like a wacky pick now. And like I reached, but I thought come August, this is going to be the norm. And I think because we're not fully alone in here, Marcus, like you said, Adam Rank and there's other uh, fantasy analysts I know who have him ranks that highly. And I think it's people like us who we, we do this every day. Um, I think that we view him a little bit higher than the people who remember, you know, last season and Jonathan Taylor being a good back and a low end RB one. So they're like, all right, we'll put him in the end of round one or early round two. But I think as more and more people start to dive into 2021 fantasy football, he's going to go higher and higher. Even with this Marlon Mack signing, the lowest I would push him down is seventh overall. Like I, I wouldn't push him far at all. I mean, I think the question is, you know, who do you view him as you know, being resembling more, right? Does he resemble Dalvin Cook as a guy who's just going to sort of dominate and be kind of an everything guy in the backfield? Or is he more of like an Aaron Jones? And we'll, we'll talk about Aaron Jones in a minute, but a guy that, you know, is maybe going to be a lead back, but is not going to have the whole backfield to himself. And it sounds like the majority of people are leaning toward him being more of the, an Aaron Jones type than say a, a Dalvin Cook or a Saquon type. And um, that surprised me. That, that definitely surprised me. I didn't, I didn't think that was going to be the case. Um, down in New Orleans, Jameis Winston resigns with the New Orleans Saints. That's the good news. The not-so-great news is that Sean Payton says he's going to compete with Taysom Hill for the starting quarterback job. Um, so having that knowledge, do you think Jameis is draftable? In other words... Do you think Jameis is going to win this competition and be the QB one? I hope he does. I think that he is the better passer of the two. I think that their offense becomes more explosive with Jameis Winston. But I do worry if they want to go the opposite route of that and like be a team that controls the clock and they run so much because that is obviously built for Taysom Hill. And I am just always weary to... Go against Sean Payton's love for Taysom Hill. But <laughs> I will say as of now, I think Jameis will be the starter. But I say that with very little confidence. I, obviously, I feel like we all believe if Jameis is the starter, that's much better news for, I mean, certainly for Michael Thomas, um, definitely for Alvin Kamara. We, we saw sort of how Taysom cratered Kamara's uh, fantasy production. And I know that was a thing that, that we've talked about before is in trying to rank Kamara, we really wanted to see who the quarterback was going to be. Uh, We know it's not going to be Drew Brees because he officially announced his retirement, but it is now interesting to see who his successor is going to be. Because we are talking about Sean Payton, I, I had to ask, do you think he would have the temerity, the straight up gall, the the trollishness because I do believe Sean Payton does like to actively troll fantasy people. I think it's, I think it's a part-time hobby of his. Would he be the person to actually go quarterback by committee, right? To have Jameis be the guy maybe between the twenties and to bring Taysom Hill in when they get, you know, around the 10 yard line or so, would he actually do that to us? And how much of a bloodletting would there be on fantasy Twitter? If that turned out to be the case, 
I 100% am afraid that that is going to happen, Marcus. Like, I I think it would be exactly the way you said, too. Like, uh, like all right, you know, in the middle of the field, like in between the 20s, Jameis Winston, but we get near the goal line, we're bringing in Taysom Hill and those big boys up front, and we're going to run it in and try to get creative because I don't think it's going to be just like, all right, one drive, Winston, one drive, Taysom Hill. I think it's going to be <laughs> – like, I think it's in the realm of possibility that Sean Payton just – Goes out there, says, I'm doing what I want to do. I don't care about fantasy or anything. Uh, he kind of reminds me, you know, like the Creed gift from The Office where it's like, he don't give a F about nothing. <laughs> like that's Sean Payton right now to me. And uh, I, I, I do fear this. And I think it would be awful for fantasy because you would not be able to start either Taysom Hill or Jameis Winston at all. Yeah, no, they'd both be unusable at that point, you know, because then you're you're praying for Jameis to throw long touchdowns. Um, but the fear is Taysom's going to come in at some point and start to get those rushings, which not only affects Jameis, but also affects a guy like Kamara, affects, uh, you know, Michael Thomas. Um, yeah, that that would be the absolute worst case scenario. And I wouldn't put put it past Sean Payton for a second that he would do this. We'll get a, a season out of Jameis with 5,000 yards and less than 10 touchdowns. That would be so awful. <laughs> <laughs> Especially if he still has his interception prone ways. Although, you know, oh, I guess man. he's he's not blind anymore, right? He got LASIK, he can see now. <laughs> so everything's cool there. Uh mentioned Aaron Jones, and he's coming back to Green Bay. Signed a uh what is ostensibly a four-year deal, though, you know, all the machinations and you know, contract language means the Packers can sort of get out from underneath it after two, whatever. Um it looked like he was ready to go to Miami. Uh, him coming back to Green Bay, does this does this impact sort of how you feel about him? Or is it just like, okay, well, we know what he is and that's fine. It's a little bit of both. Like I, I trust him as an RB1 now with Green Bay because he's done it the last two years. He's been a top six running back, a top five actually. And the only other running back to do so in two straight seasons is Derrick Henry. But what I like even more about Aaron Jones now is Jamal Williams is gone. Like, Jamal Williams was the thorn in his side. Uh, and, and I know A.J. Dillon is still there, but Jamal Williams really hurt uh, Jones in the fact that he's a great pass blocker. He would – it was like a 60-40 split last season with the pass game usage in terms of routes and targets per game. So that is not a threat that A.J. Dillon is going to pr- present to Jones anymore because he caught 21 balls in his entire college career. <laughs> and last season, he had two <clears throat> targets all year. I don't think he is suddenly going to become Jamal Williams and hurt Aaron Jones in that way. And it's something we talk about a lot, Marcus. Passing game usage is more valuable to a running back in fantasy than just carries. Absolutely, it is. Um, what is the mood, do you think, in the A.J. Dillon hive right now? Because they were they were ready. I mean, they were absolutely ready for Aaron Jones to be gone to Miami, for A.J. Dillon and his tree trunk legs to take over <laughs> as the RB1 there. Um, I mean – this has this has to be the Packers basically just throwing rocks at this hive, and it it cannot be a happy time, uh, especially if you invested in AJ Dillon in Dynasty and we're waiting for this moment. Um, this had to be worst case scenario for those folks, right? I mean, it, it just it couldn't get it because because not only it's a two year deal, right? So that means Dillon in theory is behind him for two seasons unless something big happens. So any Dynasty investment you had in in AJ Dillon, um, it's kind of gone up in smoke right now, hasn't it? Oh, yeah. I, and it's I mean, just look at the Packers draft class from last year. And you could it's just like you can make fun of them almost like you could these dynasty people because a quarterback and a running back in their their first two rounds and you sign Aaron Jones and then you have Aaron Rodgers be the MVP. It just looks awful in in uh, retrospect. But I think Dylan could be 
could get some touchdowns here, maybe a few carries a game, but I don't think you could use him in fantasy weekly. So, yeah, if you gave up anything in Dynasty for him, you are not happy at all right now. <laughs> you are really unhappy uh, at the moment. Um, but speaking of which, it, it looked for all the world like if Aaron Jones left Green Bay, Miami was going to be his destination. Both uh, Jones and the Dolphins admitted that they had interest in, in each other. Obviously, that didn't happen. Miami turns around, they sign Malcolm Brown. So he's gone from LA, which sort of shrinks that running back room, which is good news for Cam Akers. Um, do you think the Dolphins do anything else? Do they stay with this? And if so, that feels like a headache waiting to happen, trying to figure out who the running back's going to be. Yeah, I, I could still see them adding a running back in the draft. I, I do think Miles Gaskins benefited because like if they signed Aaron Jones or Chris Carson or someone like that, they were going to be the starting running back. I think with Malcolm Brown, it is going to be, like you said, it could very well be a headache. It could be a camp battle. The one thing I loved in Miami last year was whoever the running back was, the lead back, that's who they rode that week. So uh, I think Brown provides valuable depth here. He could beat out Gaskins and, and Ahmed for the job, but I think right now it is very much so a competition that we're going to have to monitor all summer. It's, yeah, I, I mean, I saw the signing. I was like, Okay, I mean, my my worst fear was that suddenly they were going to decide to go with a rotation because, as you mentioned, what we loved about the Dolphins was that they were pretty much a one-back offense, right? When it was Miles Gaskin's turn, it was Miles Gaskin. When it was Savon Ahmed, it was just him. Um, we didn't really have to worry so much about guys splitting snaps. This, to me, feels like if they don't go out and get another uh, running back, if they don't draft somebody, if they don't maybe sign another guy in free agency – this almost feels like maybe they're going to do something to kind of split up the workload um, because the other part of it is they did have injury issues too. I mean, Miles Gaskin for all the work he did missed some games because of injury. Uh, and so you wonder whether or not the Dolphins looked at that and said, okay, well, we've got to take some of the work off of his plate. Uh, and that was why they brought in a guy like Malcolm Brown. So we'll, we'll see what happens there. Uh, coming back to the West coast. A.J. Green has found a new home, um, like a lot of folks who are later in their careers. Uh, they go to Arizona <laughs> to retire. Um, I, you know, I didn't know that until I moved to the West Coast because everyone in, on the East Coast moves to Florida. Florida. Yeah, yeah. No, Arizona. Phoenix is like it's like West Coast Miami without the ocean. Um, <laughs> I mean, there's sand in the form of the desert and it's hot all the time, but you just can't. You know, I, I guess. If you count Lake Havasu, uh, that's sort of it. But, but yeah, people go and retire to Phoenix quite a bit. You play a lot of golf there. That's that's good. Um, so AJ Green, the last few years has—I mean—he's dealt with injuries. He just hasn't been on the field a whole lot. When he has, especially last year, didn't look anything like the AJ Green that we all fell in love with so many years ago in Cincinnati. Um, does a change of scenery change how you feel about drafting him? Not really, no. AJ Green's going to be 33 this upcoming season. He has really not been able to stay healthy in quite some time. Uh, the last time we saw him put up like useful fantasy numbers was in 2018. So that, that's three seasons ago now at this point. For me, though, it, it depends on where he goes. Like if he's a late round dart throw, sure, I'll take a, a flyer on him in a league, but I don't anticipate that. I, I anticipate people seeing the name AJ Green seeing him in Arizona with Kyler Murray and thinking, oh, my God, he's going to get single coverage because everyone's going to give the attention to Nuke so he could break out and, and you know, be rejuvenated. I don't want to buy any of that after seeing <laughs> what he did last year. Uh, I, I'm out on A.J. Green. So unless he's going really cheap, I'm going to let someone else have him. 
So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm totally out. I, you know, I had a buddy who, you know, hit me up and was just like, you know, you know, don't fall into the AJ green trap. Don't fall into the AJ green trap. And I'm like, this seems like a pretty easy trap to avoid. Like there's <laughs> nothing about what I've seen from AJ green the last few years that gets me excited about drafting him. I mean, like that is, he's sort of the, the draft pick that, you know, somebody in your league is going to make. And it's the person who hasn't necessarily followed along closely for the last few years. Right. It's just like somebody who's like, yeah, I'll play fantasy. I'll be in your league this year. And like, they haven't really watched anything and they just see the name AJ green. And they're like, why is AJ green still available in the eighth round? Sure. Um, it's funny. Cause as you were saying, don't fall for that trap. My thinking was like the dude who's going to show up to your draft with like a magazine is going to be like AJ Green in the eighth round. Sure. AJ Green's still there. Like what's going on? You suckers. I can't believe you let me have him. Um, you know, uh, Steve says he's been this person, Steve. Now that you're, now that you are helping on this show, we will help you to not be this person. That is, that is one of my goals, please. I will need that help. I will need that help. <laughs> Absolutely. We, we are here Appreciate for it, Marcus. You. Yeah. So I mean, even if you just pick up some stuff by osmosis, uh, you'll be okay. Um, this did though lead to an interesting conversation uh, between on Twitter, between you and our pal, Jake Seeley, uh, where, you know, you said, uh, Jake tweeted something about maybe moving Christian Kirk to the slot uh, and having him sort of prosper there. And you 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 jumped in with, you know, I've been trying to kind of avoid this Christian Kirk thing and you're going to draw me back in. Uh, I also was kind of like, yeah, I don't know. I've been burned by Christian Kirk and maybe I'm walking away. But but Jake was really trying to sort of you know promote this idea that that Christian Kirk is the next in line. All right. A couple of years ago, we had Devontae Parker. Last year, we had Corey Davis. Maybe this year's, you know, kind of late bloomer would be Christian Kirk. Were you were you swayed by that argument? Are you starting to buy into that at all? A little bit, um, because Christian Kirk, I believe, is talented. There's a reason, Marcus, why me and you keep getting drawn back into him because <laughs> he shows flashes, and we're like, wow, if he's ever given the opportunity or anything, like he can play. And I got drawn in hard last year. He had a four game stretch where he was just going off. And scoring like touchdowns every week, and he he put up like thirty something points against the Seahawks or whatever it was, and I was really in, and I thought he was going to break out now with Kyler Murray, and then he did nothing the rest of the way. I do think though with AJ Green, another outside threat. If they put him on the outside and they use Christian Kirk in the slot, to me it could lead to AJ Green going in like the eighth or ninth round, and Christian Kirk being a late round dart throw that you get for cheap. And if that's the case, then I will get I will come back in. But if you have to pay the usual August hype for Christian Kirk, I will probably keep trying to talk myself out of it. Which I think, I don't think there would have been the usual August hype for Christian Kirk, but maybe this kind of, you know, fires that back up again, in which case, yeah, I'm sort of with you. Like, I don't, I don't think I can deal with that, that frustration again. I mean, I was of the opinion that the Cardinals should bring in maybe a Will Fuller or a John Brown and bring John Brown back to Arizona where he started and have him kind of fill that role that they've been waiting on christian kirk to fill and it just hasn't really happened um so i will i'm going to keep a close eye on it and see what happens now the other part of this is we still as of this moment haven't heard officially what larry fitzgerald is going to do the the assumption is he's going to retire but you know that's that's not a guarantee if larry fitzgerald doesn't retire if he comes back for another year then that really throws a wrench in this whole thing right because you know he's going to be out there and he's going to get his snaps what does that mean for Kirk? Does he does he go to the outside? Does he share time with uh, with AJ Green out there? 
Do the the Cardinals just basically load up on four wide receiver sets all the time? Um, you know, and is there enough to go around after you know Nuke takes his 150, 160 targets that he's going to get? Like Larry Fitzgerald right now is sort of the fly in the ointment, and, and that sounds bad, right? He's obviously this guy is a great player. He's going to be a Hall of Famer. He's been fantasy gold for years. Uh, so maybe I should find another phrase for it. But he is the, he's sort of the the key piece in this whole thing where if he doesn't retire, then suddenly we really do have to change how we're feeling about this wide receiver group right now. Completely agree, because the one thing we know is that if Larry Fitzgerald is playing, Larry Fitzgerald is going to be used in the slot like that is just who he is at this point in his career. And that could lead to Christian Kirk being used as the fourth wide receiver, maybe spelling A.J. Green at times, spelling Fitz at times. Uh, And I know they've used four wide receiver sets a good amount uh, under Cliff Kingsbury, but I don't think there's enough to go around for more. Because like you said, uh, easy 150 targets for DeAndre Hopkins. A.J. Green, you have to imagine, is going to see a good amount. And then it will be Kirk and Fitzgerald fighting for what's left on a team that is going to have their quarterback scramble a good amount as well. So uh, a lot of – the Christian Kirk thing all comes down to Larry Fitzgerald retiring. I'll say that. Also, the last person out of the Andy Isabella Truther room, please turn <laughs> off the lights. Um, <laughs> I feel like that one, that one might officially be done now uh, after a couple it, of years. It probably should be. It probably should be. Um, the Washington football team made a couple of moves. They add Ryan Fitzpatrick, which I know had everybody fired up about Terry McLaurin. They also go out and they sign Curtis Samuel to a three-year deal. So Samuel leaves uh, Carolina. He is reunited with his old coach, Ron Rivera, in Washington. Um, Look, Samuel's been – I think part of what has helped his value is that he has been sort of a jack-of-all-trades, right? They they use him sort of as a short-area guy to try to get him the football. They used him as a runner to kind of supplement, especially last year uh, with no Christian McCaffrey. He was a nice compliment to Mike Davis to kind of do some other things. Um. I don't know if that's going to happen in Washington. Not sure exactly how they're going to use him there with the football team. But I do think this is an opportunity for him to see more targets uh, instead of trying to fight with DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson there. So I think in that respect, it's a good thing. Uh, We know Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to be a YOLO guy. Um, Are you more excited? How are you feeling about Curtis Samuel now that he's in Washington? I'm definitely more excited. This was actually when we did our free agent preview. This is where I said I hope he signed. because. Ron Rivera knows him. I thought that it made sense there, but I'm even happier with Ryan Fitzpatrick now because like he said, he is just going to sling it. He'll throw those YOLO balls. He doesn't care. Uh, And also what I like about Fitzpatrick is his offenses historically have been pretty like he gets tunnel vision. Like remember when he was with the Jets, it was Brandon Marshall, or Eric Decker. When he was back, when he was with the Bills, it was always Stevie Johnson with the Dolphins. It was always Devontae Parker. Like he gets locked in on a player and actually uh, our I know friend of the show Ian Har uh, Har Har how do you, I'm gonna Harditz yeah Harditz there we go Ian Harditz <laughs> he tweeted out um in the seasons that Ryan Fitzpatrick has made at least ten starts his number one wide receiver is always peppered with targets which is why I love Terry McLaurin but I also think Curtis Samuel here as the number two clear cut number two target in my opinion they invested a lot in him I think they will funnel a lot of targets his way and I think he surpasses Logan Thomas as the number two target in the passing game. Uh, I will say that I have not heard the name Stevie Johnson in a while. Uh, and I guess I shouldn't be surprised that a Bills fan uh, is the one who brought it up on this show. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think we love what Ryan Fitzpatrick brings to an offense. Um, you know, he's he's that guy that you don't 
you're not going to start him every week as your quarterback because you just don't really want to ride the roller coaster, but you love what he means for other, for other wide receivers and other pass catchers in that offense, because like, whatever, if, if I'm not starting him, I don't care if he throws four picks, as long as he throws it to my guy enough, like that's all good. Um, but the, the downside to this for me is that it's a one year deal. And while we love what it means for Terry McLaurin and for what it means for Curtis Samuel, um, you know, look, we're talking about a guy who's what, 37, 38 years old. Um, you know, he's only got a couple more years left at best, uh, does Ryan Fitzpatrick. If you're thinking long term, and I know for a lot of folks, people are trying to snap up Terry McLaurin in Dynasty, for instance, because we all love what his ceiling can be. It feels like this is the time to sort of put any any attempts to get him. I don't know. Do you put it on hold or do you do you make the move and hope for better things down the road? Because after this year, there's a very good chance that Washington is out and sort of looking for another quarterback again, which puts McLaurin back in that same limbo situation. That would worry me if I had him in dynasty or wanted to acquire him in dynasty. Or do you just dive headfirst in and say, hey, look, man, I'm going to I'm going to hope that Washington makes a good choice here and I'm going to try to play the upside looking forward. I take that approach more with Curtis Samuel, who's a little bit older, and I think a little bit more reliant on a quarterback getting him the ball than like a Terry McLaurin who has shown us he could put up like he put up numbers with Dwayne Haskins. So I I trust him that he could put up numbers with most quarterbacks that aren't named Alex Smith. Um, But in all seriousness, you just need a quarterback that could throw the ball down the field pretty well. And that's what Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to do. And in Dynasty, my approach is usually – like flags fly forever. I try to win this year and not worry about uh, long term. So I'm the kind of manager that would still be very bullishly trying to get a Terry McLaurin or a Curtis Samuel right now. But it all depends on your team's outlook, right? Like if you're not really expecting to contend this year and you have one of these guys, now that would be a good time to sell while everyone is super excited about them and their values probably at its highest. <laughs> That that makes sense. I I'm totally on board with that. I think I think that that sort of you know, I, I just you know I that's the first thing I saw. I'm like it's a one year deal. I don't know what to do really with uh, with Terry McLaurin going forward, uh, but we shall see. So, um, okay. So now I got a, a group of guys that maybe aren't necessarily you know top tier players, but could be impact players who have changed teams. I just want to get your thoughts you know, fairly quickly on you know stock up, stock down, what have you. Uh, Gerald Everett who leaves L.A., staying in the division, goes up to Seattle to join the Seahawks. Um, lately, Seattle's sort of been where, where veteran tight ends go to die, right? Because it was like Jimmy Graham, and then it was uh, Greg Olson. Now Gerald Everett, who is significantly younger than those other guys were when, when they got to Seattle. Uh, stock up, stock down, stock about the same on Gerald Everett. I think slightly up uh, because on the Rams, he had to compete with Higby and a lot of other targets. Uh, I think at best he'll be the third target in the passing game, but we know Russ likes to throw to tight ends, particularly in the red zone. I think he he goes from being not really relevant at all in fantasy to joining that blob of like tight end twos that you just feel okay about. Are you back in on Tyler Higby now? He is in that same Gerald Everett blob <laughs> for me. Um, I'm fine taking him as like an upside tight end two, but that's it. Uh, I definitely I like Gerald Everett in in Seattle. I think mostly for the the, the point you mentioned uh, that that 
Russ loves throwing to the position down near the end zone. It's the reason that some of us at some point considered a guy like Will Disley, just because he would get those red zone looks. So uh, I do think this is a, a positive move for Gerald Everett. Uh, Gronk, Rob Gronkowski, he is staying put in Tampa, really took over midway through the year uh, and then like down the stretch. And then obviously in the Super Bowl was was a force. Um, I mean, I guess for him, it was either come back to the Bucks or retire. So I guess I don't know. I feel like nothing changes. We're still sort of feeling the same way about Gronk now that we did last year. Um, because the other option was that him just not playing and then he was completely off the board. I don't know. I don't know how you feel about that. Yeah, I, I think it's the same as last year. He'll be inconsistent. Um, he did apparently consider signing with the Bills. I don't really believe him. I don't think he'll ever play with Tom Brady. <laughs> the The only negative is he's another year older and Brady's another year older. And I know right now it looks like Brady is a superhero, but at some point, it's got to end, right? Like, that's my biggest concern with this Bucks offense. Look, man, it's the, it's the guy with the sandwich board <laughs> on the corner screaming the world is going to end. Like, one day he's going to be right. Um, <laughs> you know, we keep saying Tom Brady's going to fall off. Like, one day we're going to be right uh, unless he just, you know, wins another Super Bowl and retires, like, straight after. Who knows? Um, Corey Davis, after his big breakout season, goes up to New York. He lands with the Jets. Uh, up, down, about the same for, for Corey Davis. I think uh, slightly up. Uh, I think the volume will be up for him. He he had a 20% target share last year. I, I think he'll have at least that with the Jets now after the, the money they invested in him, unless they go out and get another big-name wide receiver like they've been linked to Juju. Um, but as of now, I think it's slightly up. The only concern I have, Marcus, and maybe this isn't fair for Corey Davis, but he really struggled before A.J. Brown broke out. So I – I concerns I have concerns if he can be a true number one or is he better as like a really good number two option? I I understand those concerns, right? I mean, it was it's a combination of struggle before AJ Brown uh, and and really you know out, outside of an Arthur Smith offense too. What what does he do, right? Um, so he goes to New York. The upside obviously is that. Um, he looks like the number one wide receiver right there. So that's a plus that hopefully means more target share for him. We'll also see who the quarterback is going to be. If it's still Sam Darnold, uh, if they make a move and, and bring somebody else in, we'll still, we'll see about that. Uh, so those are some big question marks there, but I think at least the immediate response for me is that this is positive uh, and that means more opportunity for Corey Davis. Um, you know, so we'll see if he can duplicate what he did last year in Tennessee. Uh, Marvin Jones goes from Detroit to Jacksonville. Um, Steve might not like this, but I think this is a good move for Marvin Jones just because I know we were all sort of worried about what this means uh, playing with Jared Goff, who had become a checkdown specialist over the last few years. I'm just expecting this Jacksonville offense with Trevor Lawrence to be more wide open, to be more vertical, to be more aggressive. And I think that's good for Marvin Jones, sort of like what we're hoping to see for Kenny Galladay, wherever he potentially lands. But um, I'm not I'm not saying this that I'm going to draft Marvin Jones maybe maybe as a low-end wide receiver two, wide receiver three, I think is probably where I feel more comfortable. But I do think, on the whole, this is more of a positive for him than a negative. Yeah, I, I think for real life, it is definitely and – it, and it's an improvement with him over Goff. The only thing I, – I like him a little bit less, I think, than I did last year just because last year he was the number two – I think the clear-cut number two coming into the year and spent most of the season as their number one target. I don't think he'll be that with Jacksonville. I think – DJ Chark is going to be the number one or Chenault. I, I could see either one of them going over him, but I think Marvin Jones will be what Marvin Jones kind of is. He'll have a like 
you know, five, six, like really nice games. And then a handful of duds and a handful of like <laughs> 10, 12 point games. I, I anticipate him being kind of similar to what he was. Steve's saying that the Lions are on pace for zero receiving touchdowns <laughs> this year, which is bad news for all of us who are on the uh, the TJ Hawkinson train. Um, so let's, you know, if they're going to catch touchdowns, let's just let it be Hawkinson and, uh, and we'll all, we'll all be okay. Hawkinson's pretty much the only option left. And that's assuming Goff <laughs> Uh, yeah, you're kind of right. Um, they got to do something about that, right? They're going to draft somebody maybe, uh, they they got to do something about this after after losing you know Jones and potentially Galladay right? I mean Anthony Lynn's right. a running back guy, so they got another running back. So I guess that's the plan. But we're derailing your conversation here. Uh, Let's go six yeah, I mean, running backs like, wide. <laughs> I mean, are we all in on like I don't know Quintez Cephas this year? Uh, that maybe Terrell sad. Williams maybe. <laughs> that idea made me sad. All right, let's, let's move on because I don't want to be sad anymore. Um, John Brown uh, leaves Buffalo after having a pretty successful year with the Bills, just sort of a cap casualty there. And he comes back toward the West Coast, was in uh, Phoenix once upon a time. Now he stays in the desert and goes to Las Vegas with the Raiders. I like this signing for the Raiders. I like the signing for John Brown. Um, we saw last year that Derek Carr couldn't throw the deep ball. He did it with Nelson Aguilar. Now he's got another guy there. I like it for for John Brown, Florio. Um, it makes me continue to be worried though, about what Henry Ruggs is going to be in this offense, um, unless they bring in Brown to sort of be a tutor. But uh, I think I think Brown has some nice value there. I still think Henry Ruggs maybe is a wait and see for me. Yeah, I I agree. I think Brown could be this year's Nelson Aguilar. And I think for him, it's easily stock up because on the Bills, like he was behind Diggs, he was behind Cole Beasley, and he might have even been behind Gabriel Davis then uh, because they they like him a lot. So I think here he has an opportunity to potentially be their number one wide receiver, not number one target because Darren Waller, we know, is going to do that, (laughs) but potentially their number one wide receiver. I, I think it'll be a camp battle between him and Henry Ruggs to be the number one, but you can't feel great about Henry Ruggs after last season. Cannot. Um, like again, he was supposed to be the field stretcher, uh, that speed guy to take the top off the defense, and that turned out to be Nelson Aguilar. So now they're bringing in another veteran guy who we know can actually be uh, that field stretcher. We didn't know that necessarily about Aguilar. We know that about John Brown. So that, that's going to be an interesting camp competition between the two of them. Um, Jamal Williams leaves Green Bay, stays in the division, goes to Detroit. Um, I mean, I asked you about you know, how, how you're feeling about Jonathan Taylor after the Marlon Mack signing. How are you feeling about DeAndre Swift after the Jamal Williams signing? Not nearly as great as I was before. it. And, <laughs> and Jamal Williams, of all the running back signings so far, I think he is the one that hurts the incumbent the most. Like, he's not Carlos Hyde or, or even Marlon Mack. Like, he is a much better running back than those guys, in my opinion. First of all, he's healthy. Second of all, he's shown us that he can get it done on the ground and in the passing game. And that is what worries me because Green Bay has raved so much about how good he is in pass blocking. And and we they repeatedly would take Aaron Jones off the field for him. I am very fearful that that could become DeAndre Swift. Like, I think DeAndre Swift is still going to be the starter. He is still going to be uh, the first running back you want to draft here. But if they're pulling him off the field at times to get Jamal Williams on third down or something like that, that is going to hurt DeAndre Swift. So for me, 
He was someone that I had easily as being like an RB1 heading into 2021. He might fall out of that and be on that. Now I think he's very much so on that border. Like, is he a low-end RB1 or more of a high-end RB2? Yeah. I just the, – the moves the Lions have made this offseason have not done DeAndre Swift any favors. Um, you know, going to, to Jared Goff, uh, you know, now bringing in Jamal Williams. It's like they, they just have not done DeAndre Swift any favors. Uh, like, like we said just a moment ago, they need to get some pass catchers just so that, you know, if I'm a defense right now, I'm just like, well, let's just, you know, let's stop DeAndre Swift. <laughs> let's, load the box. <laughs> let's stop the running game. Let's force Jared Goff to try to beat us downfield. I mean, at this very moment, uh, the Lions are very easy to defend. Um, you know, maybe Dan Campbell and his knee biting strategy is going to pay off here. I don't know. Uh, but right now, just on on paper, it doesn't look particularly great. Uh, for for the Lions running backs at the moment. Um, last one I got on my list here, Emmanuel Sanders, uh, who was let go uh, by the Saints and goes up to Buffalo. So he joins your Bills. Um, you talked about John Brown sort of being down the pecking order. I would imagine, does that apply to Emmanuel Sanders as well? We're talking about a guy who's, what, 33, 34 years old. Um, you know, is he nice? I think he's a nice real football piece, not necessarily a great fantasy piece. And I would think he's really going to have to fight to get consistent targets in this offense. That is my my thinking 100 percent. Like, I think he is a better real life signing. He could be a veteran leader and he's they always rave about his toughness and stuff. But for fantasy, I don't really as of right now, he would be the fourth wide receiver from the Bills. I would put in for fantasy rankings like I'd have Gabe Davis ahead of him. I would have Cole Beasley ahead of him and obviously Stefan Diggs. So. I think it, it helps more for the receivers and Josh Allen in real life than anything, but not a whole lot of fantasy interest. So, yeah, all right. Uh, all right, I think we got through <laughs> it. I think that's it. Um, so we did this whole show, and we got no news about Kenny Galladay or Juju Smith-Schuster or Chris Carson, uh, anybody like that, which guarantees that the moment we sign off, uh, at least one or more of those players is going to sign. But for now – uh, that is our whole look at free agency. A uh, couple of reminders. We will have the NFL Fantasy Live free agency frenzy. That's going to be next week. Um, it actually airs, I believe, on Thursday, the 25th. So a week from today, uh, I believe, is when that's going to hit your, your television screens. Like I always say, check your local listings, set your DVR, uh, and it should appear at some point uh, in the next week or so. And the Big Data Bowl, if you, uh, if you didn't get a chance to catch it streaming live, you can find it. Uh, nfl.com slash big data bowl you can also go find it on youtube as well so uh yeah plenty to do there so i mean florio like something big's gonna happen right i think the, the, the time between now and the time we talk again next tuesday hopefully we've got some more wide receiver stuff to talk about because i can't imagine that some of these big names are going to sit out there too much longer yeah i I am mad. Like I keep thinking it's going to be a domino effect. Like once one signs, we're going to see a whole bunch start. And I thought Curtis Samuel was kind of going to start that, and that didn't. So let's hope that like Galladay or Juju sign, and that gets it going because we can have a lot of fun with these wide receivers that uh, they're going to end up some places. Yeah, I mean those are the those are the marquee names for this free agency, and uh, so far they are still out there on the board. So uh, we'll definitely keep a close eye on that, and uh, you know we'll keep you updated when we know more all about it. Oh, wait, last minute. This just happened just as we were getting ready uh, to shut this down. The Raiders have signed Kenyon Drake to a two-year deal. Uh, we were hoping to see Kenyon Drake go somewhere where he could get some more opportunities. Um, I don't know. My immediate reaction is that this is 
bad for everybody involved. It's not great for Kenyon Drake. It's really not great for Josh Jacobs, who already doesn't catch the football. Now there's even less reason to throw him the ball because Kenyon Drake is there. Um, my immediate reaction is like thumbs down. I don't like this for anybody. I mean, maybe for the Raiders, but I don't like this for the, the players involved. How are you feeling? Not great. I, I have the same reaction as you. Like Kenyon Drake goes from being a first round pick last year, Marcus, to maybe a ninth or a tenth round pick this year. And then Josh Jacobs, who was someone that I've been lower on than than a lot of others. And like I in my early rankings, he was not an RB1 for me. And people were like, oh, where's Josh Jacobs? There is no way he is an RB1 now anymore, in my opinion. Like, I think he is firmly an RB2. You're going to hear people say talent all you want. They invested two years, $11 million that can go up to $14.5 million on Kenyon Drake. That is not a small investment at all. Like, this really hurts Josh Jacobs and maybe even knocks him into third or fourth round territory. I I mean, I did a quick dive earlier, and John Gruden generally does not throw the football to running backs a whole lot. Uh, Michael Pittman was sort of the exception uh, of that rule. Kenyon Drake might sort of be the next closest option to that. Um, But either way, it means that all the targets we were hoping eventually would go to Josh Jacobs are just never going to go to Josh Jacobs. And now on top of it, Drake's a guy who can run the football as well and take Jacobs off the field. This does not work. Their whole offensive line is gone now, too. Like they they had to it's basically completely revamped. Like it's hard to feel good about the run game there. Not not excited at all about that. So that is it. We are done. We appreciate you hanging out with the NFL fantasy football show. You know the drill. Tell two friends to tell two friends. Rate review and remember, you're never too old to learn something stupid. Be safe, take care of yourselves, wear a mask, and we will see you next week. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish spring body wash and bar soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.